Hello, this is Dorothy. In addition to the weekly format of this podcast in which I offer practical and spiritual wisdom that I lovingly share with you each Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I am so excited to offer a second format of amazing content. It's called Ask Dorothy. These episodes reveal the inner workings of what really happens inside a session of therapy and life coaching with me. Here I dive into the richness of content that each client brings to our sessions and how we best navigate what insights, teachings, solutions, and of course, healing and wholeness abounds. I know that listening will offer you much wisdom and guidance in the ways that bring to life what you need and also how to implement the best practices and teachings that I share to honor all of what you seek and all of what you are becoming. In each of the Ask Dorothy episodes, you will also hear my candid observations and commentary and the process for how we arrive in a place of harmony, relief, clarity, understanding, and the true change that happens in each and every session because of a client's willingness to grow, to evolve, to move beyond their comfort zone and into the revelation of what they already know, what they learn to be capable of and what they desire most for their life. My job is always to support a client's progress and to provide the right tools and best therapeutic practices to ensure that each client will reach their goals, including to be all that they wish to become. I hope you'll enjoy the Ask Dorothy series as an opportunity to have the knowledge and insight of what we can do together. If you have a question that needs my love and helpful guidance, please write to me. All right, so let's jump into this episode and ask Dorothy. Welcome to part three, the final episode in this three-part series on emotional intelligence. In part one, you heard the story of my client Anastasia and how her lack of awareness and inability to self-regulate her emotions, in particular anger, became the tipping point for a catastrophic moment, now a catalyst for the work that she is doing to redefine how she approaches daily life situations with a perspective of appreciation seeing all of life's moments as precious because she has chosen to no longer be consumed by impatience and rigid rules. In part two in this series, we had a bird's eye view into the lives of my client Gary and his wife, Sylvana. Each member of the couple polarized in their reactions to stress and their display of emotions. Each reaction a trigger for the other, resulting in a never-ending cycle of drama. Sylvana was accusatory, and she blamed Gary and the rest of the world for the stress that she perceived as a direct attack on her personality. Gary would incessantly be drawn into the drama, 
His efforts would be aimed at helping his wife with encouraging and rational words. Gary would then brace himself as Sylvana would find fault with or a reason for why his advice was unhelpful and not good enough. Gary's emotional reaction to Sylvana's berating words was to shut down, to which Sylvana would become triggered with anger and blame. At the time of release of this episode, Gary had his results from a recent angiogram. This is an x-ray test that uses dye and imaging to take pictures of the blood flow in an artery or vein. His doctors are still working to find answers to his many episodes of heart palpitations. It isn't only the outward display of anger that causes stress-induced chest pain, elevated heart rate, and higher blood pressure. Science has shown that chronic anger increases your risk of a heart attack or stroke. Gary's history of shutting down his outward display of emotions did not make his anger go away. Anger may not be the only offender in heart disease risk. Research suggests that other extreme negative emotions, such as high levels of anxiety and depression, can contribute to heart disease as these tend to co-occur. People who are frequently angry often do have other chronic negative emotions. The argument for high emotional intelligence means a learned healthy expression of anger and a reduction of negative emotions, together with the tools for self-regulation. If you haven't already, after joining me here, it's worth a listen next to part one and two. In these episodes, you'll discover the five core competencies of emotional intelligence and the strategies that I offer to build these in your life. Here in part three of this series, we discuss how trauma impacts emotional reactivity. Namely, situations where you are triggered based on a previous trauma, thereby causing the same or a similar heightened emotional reaction. How well you react in a present moment situation that is triggered by a past trauma is reflected in your level of EI or emotional intelligence. Since trauma can alter brain functioning and therefore our ability to regulate emotions, in a moment we'll dive into how the brain is impacted by trauma and the importance of neuroplasticity, making it possible to rewire our brain, to learn healthy coping responses, and to change your fear reaction in perceived and real situations of stress. First, let me define emotional intelligence and why it is one of the most important skills that you, that anyone, could develop if you are on a path to living as your best self, because your emotional intelligence will continue to be tested, whether in regular daily life or if you have experienced a trauma. Emotional intelligence, or EI, is the ability to understand, use, and manage your emotions in positive ways to relieve stress, 
communicate effectively, empathize with others, overcome challenges, and diffuse conflict. EI might be considered the holy grail for garnering self-control. It's a skill that you rely on daily to regulate how you feel so that you can respond appropriately to others and across all situations. And it's also a skill that contributes to self-confidence and self-esteem. Begin by asking yourself this question. Do I need to let go of anything of the past that continues to cause me to be triggered and to react with heightened emotion? Your past memories will surface. It's important that you have the tools to consider and also reformulate your perspective so that you can remember the past without reliving it in this moment. There is some skill to this, and certainly having awareness and being able to self-regulate when you feel yourself about to react to more than what is truly in front of you. When your mind has slipped into the past and you are now rethinking and reliving what traumatic event has already happened. The secret is to notice this early, to be aware, to use reassuring words to guide your attention into the present, and to remind yourself that what you need to address and respond to is what is in this moment. Often the situation in this moment is quite manageable if you continue to hold presence here. Knowing this will help as you listen on and as you take in more of the strategies that I offer here. All right, let's dive into this episode of Ask Dorothy. My client Janine recalled examples of the ongoing emotional and psychological abuse she receives from her mother. Janine is 15. She identifies as transgender and prefers to be called Danny. She wears her hair short and loves the color pink on her nails. Danny's mother is not accepting of her gender identity, and she is both derogatory and condemning of her daughter's choice, saying, I'll never accept this, and your family won't love you. Danny and her dad stopped talking about seven years ago. Danny stated that he was physically abusive to her mom, and the relationship didn't last very long after Danny was born. While Danny's mom contacted me for help for her daughter, as the many layers of truth began to reveal itself, it became clear that Danny's mother was a large part of the current problem. In addition to the anxiety, anger, and sadness that Danny suffered as a result of her mother's emotional and psychological abuse, Danny's elevated anxiety and a recent panic attack was related to trauma of a different nature. Her memories of a past incident of sexual abuse, of inappropriate touching by one of her mother's boyfriends when Danny was six, was surfacing quite frequently. Each time that she experienced a flashback of the trauma, Danny had a real and present visceral reaction, 
and described self-loathing and a disassociation from this part of her body. Disassociation is one of the many defense mechanisms the brain can use to cope with the trauma of sexual violence. It's often described as an out-of-body experience when someone feels detached from reality. Past trauma and trauma that is active in our subconscious because we continue to experience it causes an emotional reaction to what can be a benign and neutral situation. Danny's best friend Carmen accidentally brushed against her leg when they were watching videos one afternoon, and it immediately had a triggering effect, causing Danny to instantly pull away and begin breathing rapidly. Her amygdala had interpreted the situation based on the past episodes of abuse, and Danny began to react with anxiety and panic. Even though, logically, she knew that this was Carmen, and there was no harmful intention behind the action. Some emotional reactions will be difficult to manage and seem impossible to intervene. Carmen had witnessed Danny's mother say hurtful and degrading words to Danny. Carmen never knew about Danny's experiences of sexual trauma. High emotional intelligence is the ability to regulate anxiety and other intense emotions. It's most helpful to learn the skills of mindfulness and self-awareness, and also how to self-regulate using self-talk, deep breathing, and meditation, as well as seeking professional help to process the trauma so that the brain no longer interprets related situations as danger. Research suggests that more than 70% of adults in each of Canada and the United States have experienced some type of traumatic event at least once in their lives. Studies suggest that nearly one out of 10 people in North America may develop PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder at some point during their lifetime. PTSD can affect adults and children and can appear months or even years after exposure to the trauma. Trauma is defined as a disordered psychological or behavioral state resulting from severe mental or emotional stress or physical injury. There is no standard definition of a traumatic experience for everyone. For every person, the experience of trauma is defined subjectively. How you interpret a situation or life event determines your reaction to it. The more sensitive you are and if you are prone to anxiety, depression, and other mental health preconditions, you may be more likely to interpret a situation or life event as traumatic. Related experiences may then trigger emotional reactions similar to what you experienced previously. Building the five core competencies of emotional intelligence, these are self-awareness, self-regulation, empathy, internal motivation, and social skills help the brain offset the impact of traumatic events. By understanding what can be an emotional trigger, you can implement the tools and strategies that will help you self-regulate, 
and to identify the situation in front of you as one that you can navigate effectively as long as you remain present. If a past trauma continues to surface, please seek professional help. This will allow you to develop a perspective shift as you process and reframe the trauma, and as you identify it as the past, so that you can react appropriately to whatever is before you in each present moment. Whether your experience of trauma was five years ago or more than 20 years ago, it can feel like just yesterday because of the intense reaction you relive. This is because the brain reacts to what thoughts you hold as you perceive a situation. Similar to how waking in the middle of a dream or a nightmare, your experience is vivid. It feels very real. You are not really floating on a cloud or flying, although your body and mind was experiencing this heightened state as if it was true. A mindfulness practice to help you self-regulate when you begin to think about a past trauma is similar to what you would do when feeling anxious or in a state of panic. Notice that your mind is focused on this past life event to which you have neither control over nor the ability to change it. Then return your attention to the space and time of now, again and again, as you hold thoughts of gratitude for this present moment and whatever you are grateful for. You can pair this with deep breathing or a particular breathing technique that focuses on a longer exhalation, which engages your vagus nerve and directs the parasympathetic nervous system to begin relaxing the body. This is how you feel the corresponding effects of relief, calm, and appreciation. When you understand how trauma affects the brain, you can be more prepared for the moments in which you feel a sense of fear or danger signaled by your amygdala and to recognize when you are reacting or overreacting to a present situation or a past trauma. With the right help and strategies and continual practice, you will enhance the five core competencies of emotional intelligence, specifically for any past trauma. You can examine the situation and critique it using cognitive tools, and then to reframe your experience based on what is true and accurate. For example, you may still feel a strong emotion or experience, a vivid replay of the traumatic event, but you will also be able to talk yourself through what you are experiencing in an effort to stay grounded in the present, where it is likely that you are safe and then to focus on the facts of what is true helps you to regain your composure. While all of us label and experience traumatic stress in different ways, our brains process stress in mostly predictable patterns. Let's take a closer look at how trauma alters brain functioning and therefore our ability to regulate our emotions. 
Traumatic stress has a broad range of effects on brain function and structure, as well as on neuropsychological components of memory. According to a 2006 study by the National Institute of Health, trauma predominantly affects three important parts of your brain. The amygdala, which is your emotional and instinctual or survival center, the hippocampus, which controls memory, and the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for regulating your emotions and impulses. All three parts work together to manage your reaction to stress and danger. The amygdala is a section of nervous tissue in the brain that is responsible for emotions, survival instincts, and memory. A major role of the amygdala is to detect fear. It recognizes and gathers information around us to determine threats. By using our senses, such as sight and sound, the amygdala will respond with the feeling of fear if it perceives a threat. This all happens unconsciously, deep in our brains. When affected by a traumatic memory, the amygdala becomes hyperactive. Those who suffer from emotional trauma will often exhibit more fear of traumatic stressors than others. Often, stimuli can trigger overactivity in the amygdala if somehow connected to the traumatic event that a person suffered. The amygdala, triggered by traumatic stress, causes the brain to enter fight, flight, and freeze, or what is called the F3 response, over and over again. The hippocampus is part of the limbic system in the brain. It is mostly responsible for storing and retrieving memories, while also differentiating between past and present experiences. Trauma leads to reduced activity in the hippocampus. Whatever triggered a memory of a past trauma is perceived by the hippocampus as a threat in the present. This is because, in the brain, a victim of trauma cannot differentiate their past trauma and the present situation. The fight-flight-freeze or F3 response is then activated due to the brain's perception of a threat. Memories may be extremely vivid and constantly on the mind of trauma survivors. Environments or situations that remind the survivor of their trauma, in even small ways, can cause fear, stress, and panic, much like the experience that Danny had. Trauma can cause your brain to remain in a state of hypervigilance, suppressing your memory and impulse control, and trapping you in a constant state of strong emotional reactivity. The prefrontal cortex is a part of the brain that regulates emotions. It also acts as the brain's center of higher-level critical thinking. Normally, the amygdala will sense a negative emotion such as fear, and the prefrontal cortex will rationally react to this emotion. However, after a trauma event, the prefrontal cortex has a hard time regulating fear and other emotions. 
Instead, other areas of the brain respond automatically by increasing adrenaline and other chemicals that stimulate the nervous system. This causes us to react with the F3 response rather than take a thoughtful and critical approach in situations where we perceive stress. Since your prefrontal cortex becomes suppressed after a trauma, you are less capable of controlling your fear and more likely to be in a purely reactive state. These three most affected areas of the brain can make a trauma survivor constantly fearful, especially when triggered by events and situations that remind them of their trauma. As we wrap up, I want to offer hope for the practice of emotional intelligence as part of a plan to build emotional resilience. Emotional resilience refers to one's ability to adapt to stressful situations or crises. Resilience exists when you develop psychological and behavioral capabilities, strategies in essence, that allow you to remain calm during a stressful event or crisis and to move on from the incident without long-term negative consequences. It might seem like trauma can do irreversible damage to your brain, yet that's not true. Our brains are extremely adaptable, and with neuroplasticity, the brain's ability to form new connections, we can rewire our brains to reverse the damaging effects of trauma. I'm going to leave you with something that you can do right now. Recognizing and changing your emotional reaction to a past trauma takes effort, repetition, and practice. The best gift you can give yourself towards changing your brain is talk therapy. If you're ready to begin the journey, look for a professional who specializes in trauma and PTSD and who uses evidence-based methods that change the brain by working with both the body and the mind. Also, consider adding a mindfulness-based practice to your daily routine to help begin deactivating the amygdala or fear center. This is a vital first step to healing. As you are able to quiet the amygdala with mindfulness, breathwork, and meditation, you are better able to work on strengthening and activating the prefrontal cortex, the emotional regulation center, and hippocampus, the thinking center. The recommendation is to practice these techniques and the ones I've mentioned earlier for short periods of time, multiple times per day. Remember, practice makes progress. And an afterword on my client, Danny. She has a journey ahead of her. Past trauma that has never been healed, together with the almost daily episodes of psychological abuse, created a hypervigilant state and a reoccurring experience of the symptoms of trauma. In the months that followed, Danny made the decision to move in with a family friend. This was an older woman nearing her grandmother's age that was always like a great aunt to Danny. Maureen had never married nor had children, 
and she and Danny always shared a special bond. When Danny's grandmother passed, Maureen, her grandmother's longtime friend, would often invite Danny to spend weekends and part of her summer break with her on the farm. Maureen had recently moved back to the city and had a two-bedroom apartment. Danny was grateful to have a positive space away from her mother for a time. Danny had already been using reassuring self-talk whenever she would have flashbacks of the inappropriate touching. With continued practice, she learned to become even better at calming and soothing herself with deep breathing and with positive visualization. Danny would remember and focus on any number of her happy memories being at Maureen's farm as a child. This was a place where she always felt happy and safe. Danny was also able to join a swim team at school, and this helped her feel more comfortable in her body and as she enjoyed swimming competitively. Swimming became a positive focus, and her confidence developed as she excelled at the sport. Living with Maureen in an environment where she received encouragement and was given reassurance helped Danny feel safe and happy. She learned to thrive in her uniqueness as her list of new interests grew. Danny still has some way to go. The relationship with her mother will likely continue to be difficult for as long as her mother remains critical and unloving. Through our work, Danny was able to focus on practicing self-love and to have acceptance that her mother is not able, at least for now, to be the person that Danny would like her to be. As Danny continues to focus on thriving through her intentional acts of kindness and self-approval, her self-worth and confidence is flourishing. We can shift the focus and meaning of our memories we can reframe situations of the past and learn acceptance of others even as we disagree with their words and actions. This is so that we can find peace in our resolve of the choices that help protect our emotional and psychological well-being. Unconditional love will find you from other positive role models, even if these are not people in your family of origin. Thriving is always a conscious choice, and there are many paths to feeling confident and for approving of who you are. Your past trauma does not define you. In the description, I'll leave a list of resources, including helpful breathing techniques and mindfulness resources for you to check out. If this episode resonated for you because of your own past traumas that continue to hijack you, please consider my help. You can reach out to me directly via email. I'll leave this also in the description. Thank you so much for joining me in this three-part series on emotional intelligence. And please share out each of these episodes with a loved one who could be helped by building greater emotional intelligence. Sending you great love. Thank you so much for listening. This is Dorothy. Namaste.
Thank you so much for joining me in this episode of the Wisdom Podcast. To hear more, please check out the other episodes right here. And I'd love for you to subscribe and share your feedback on this or any episode with me. And then join me at DorothyRatusny.com, where you'll find the wisdom blog, the inspiration for this podcast, the latest online courses that I teach, my YouTube videos, and the wisdom archives, which are an extensive library of guided meditations, mindfulness musings, spiritual teachings, and best therapeutic practices for your whole being, and to nourish and heal your life, plus many other special offerings of love. Please also visit me on social media and say hello. Allow yourself to go within, to access your inner wisdom, and to live this. Awaken your authentic power. Live your truth and be love. Thank you. This is Dorothy.